All right, Rufus. So this episode is brought to everyone by our new exciting partner, Splash Sports, which is the leader in peer-to-peer sports contests. Um, any thoughts on the concept of this bowl pick we've been doing? Pretty fun, paying attention a little bit, although you, it sounds like you forgot to make your last picks. Well, that was the second entry, but that entry isn't doing well. The first entry is the one we care about. Seven and two. And you're so, seven and two. That's so that, I did right? pick the wrong like captain's choice or whatever they call it, the the game where I get double credit. I went I went with a big underdog in Miami, Ohio to be contrarian, and it did not pay off. Well, the cool thing about Splash Sports, it's a platform built by the group that owns Run Your Pool and Office Football Pool. It's changing office pools forever. Do you think office pools will be a thing forever? I kind of feel like they should be because they're just like a different way of having a sweat on the game and kind of like a fun way of doing it, right? I think the problem is people are working from home too much now, Jeff. So they have, oh, so there's no office. office but like, yeah. if you think about the 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 actual attention that like something like uh, this Circa Survivor thing is going, like Splash Sports has Survivor games and would love to one day get into a world where they have an overlay or they have just all these opportunities for people to beat you know, survivor or to, to compete at survivor at that level. Jeff, I want to have an opportunity to survive. All right. Well, if you want to check it out, go download the splash sports app in the iOS or Android store and click the link in our show notes to uh, actually go check it out. And we're going to be having more competitions where you compete compete against Rufus and I, and to, maybe we get an NFL expert that you compete against. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast which we're going to start talking about the NFL. But before we do, have you been following our picks competition with Splash Sports, Rufus, and how you're doing? How many entries did you end up putting in two? I put in two, although I'm not even sure I um, put it, like actually made my selections for the second one. So, you know, maybe I was donating <laughs> there. But I, uh, right, I, I know that I won my first pick. You did. I was five and two in that first slate. How so am I doing, I Jeff? I don't know. It's there's oh, yeah. a lot of people in it. So it's a it's splashsports.com. Anyways, it calls football contest. Slash and, and there's gonna be more, more to come. CFB. But there was like a significant like overlay. How... Rufus, explain what an overlay is because we were talking about overlays and everyone was talking about yeah. overlays. It means and there's an overlay when there are more prizes, the prize pool is greater than the uh total amount of entry fees. I think it's there are some simple, people right? that are nine and oh so far. Obviously, there's only oh, so one, so my two, second three, entry, four, Jeff, five. I submitted the first eight games, but it looks like I have one, two, I have two reds and seven greens. So I'm seven and two. There you go. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, no, there's some people that are nine. There, there are a fair amount of people here that are nine and oh. Yeah, but so I don't think I'm winning this lose. thing. Oh, Maybe. oh, and I lost my star game. I went, I went really contrarian on the start game. I think I went Miami, Ohio there. 
28.2 percent according mm-hmm. to splash gaming but Miami of Ohio was was in that game for a long time. I mean, you're 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 like a card carrying member of the loving the Mac, huh? Yeah, Team Mac, Mac Attack. Yeah. Did you see what they did to Can Georgia I tell Southern? My, uh, what Ohio did? Yeah, Georgia oh, Southern, yeah, who Ohio according to Bud was apparently they were out at the bar the night before, huh? Well, I think I mean that game, I actually watched a reasonable amount of that game, oh, um, so which was shocking, but. Um, that supposedly Ohio's like quarterback, like I think what's interesting about like if you yeah Rourke. look at like we have a sample size of nine. No, he didn't play Rourke. Didn't no, play. right, that's my but, point. Like, because everybody thought there'd no, be supposedly this the, the guy they played was was pretty good. And like yeah, I think the clearly. thing that we we a lot of times don't know about these backups in these situations where you hear all these people are opting out. I mean, this is this is college, right? And these guys, you know, again, like we just don't know a lot about. Sometimes these backups that come in are are just as good. And so, so the overreaction to people being like right now, I think if you would, if you generally bet against overreaction, you would have done okay. Right. Like this, Which is, this idea, like what that's what, that's what I was saying. People do in bowls. And you were like, no, Rufus, everything's changed now. And I haven't been betting. Well, and I would have been whooping up on it. I, I don't know if I, I said, everything's changed. What I said is things have changed. Right. And so ultimately like, Again, we've had a sample. Why don't you? Why, if you if you really believe that strongly in this, Rufus, just start go betting your, just bet no, your, your. No, I clearly your. The, the, there's the, the the time is better spent on college basketball. There you go. But okay, one um, thing we we do know though, like we do know that the the um Ohio backup quarterbacks, plural, I should say, were better recruits than than Rourke was. But again, that's just an observation of this person's talent at one point in time. It's, I don't know. It's fascinating. Maybe we should talk about this on the other side, which is like this idea of, of talent evaluation and how we could get better at it from an analytical perspective. Yeah. Look, I mean, we're going to be talking about it a little bit. Yeah. um, Why don't we, why don't we bring a reef in now? And then we can talk a little bit about this on the other side after the interview and kind of bring in a lot of stuff that we're thinking about. So let's bring a reef passing in NFL expert, and then we'll talk to you guys all again on the other side. We now welcome in Arif Hassan to the Bet the Process podcast. And what we're hoping that you'll do for us today is educate us on and catch us up on the NFL because Rufus doesn't know anything about the NFL. We've talked about this. He barely even watches it. His Massey Peabody rankings are independent of any player, so therefore he knows no players' names on any teams. And Except we quarterbacks. That, we proved well. You only know old white quarterbacks, but that's a fair point. But guess what? Early on, there, there's more of them now, like Joe Flacco. There's more. He's of back. Them he never dies. He's not more. He, yeah, he's definitely a little bit of a zombie quarterback. He seems to be. And the funny thing is, he's had like a sine wave at the last. His like in the last part of his career where like he was good and then terrible and somehow seems to be reasonable again. Reason- uh, yeah, okay. Reasonable. Yeah. Reasonable. So reasonable is maybe in the middle of the sine wave. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's talk about a few narratives and you can catch us up on some things. So yeah, sure. Are the Niners, the odds on favorite to win the Super Bowl? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, so some measures like DVOA, which I think at this point is like relatively outdated in the analytics community, but it provides us a good historical reference. Uh, the Niners are one of the best DVOA teams 
we've ever had, which DVOA for people unfamiliar is a defense adjusted metric that is a little bit like EPA, but it rewards success rate a little bit more and it has its own category for explosives. So uh, they are a phenomenal team when you combine kind of the uh, end point of the impact of their defense, even when you kind of minimize the impact of turnovers, as well as kind of their offensive output. They've had a couple of injuries at receiver and some other positions early in the season. Those are since resolved. So obviously injuries are always on the table going forward, but for right now, they're a pretty healthy team that uh, is operating that are chugging on all cylinders. So I would argue that they should be the odds on favorite, especially because the AFC is relatively weak this year. So having an NFC team that seems dominant within the NFC would make it pretty easy for whoever to show up there to be the representative that ends up winning it all. Because I just, I don't know, the AFC is whatever. They're, they're roughly two to one to win the Super Bowl right now. The next team, does anyone know what the next, who the next team is? I assume it's an AFC team, but I I couldn't. Yeah. It's the Ravens. Ravens. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ravens, Ravens right? at, at okay, plus yeah. five sixty, and this is off of Bet Chris, which is what we would generally think to be a relatively sharp market. And then after that, it goes all the way up to the Cowboys and the Eagles. Well, actually, no, Kansas City is plus seven forty five, and then the Dolphins are plus eight thirty five. Mm-hmm. But it surprised me that the that the gap between Green Bay, sorry, between Philly, Dallas. And the Niners has gotten so big where the Cowboys are almost 10 to one and the Eagles are almost 10 to one. And then the Niners are two to one. That's so, that's a, that's um, a bit rough for me. Uh, I guess I just am a believer in the Cowboys. I'm not so much in the Eagles this year, but that, that's probably an area where I would say that there's maybe a little bit of an advantage against the market to be had. Uh, the Cowboys are a good team. We saw them get beat up and maybe the markets are reacting to that bills loss, but the bills are a good team. That's just what happens sometimes. I mean, didn't they? They got blown out by by San Francisco earlier in the year too. It feels like when they when it, when it rains, it pours for them. They have games where they yeah. just look awful. Yeah, and, it's they they very much seem like they can only have multiple score games, and it's either they're winning them or losing them. I I think part of that is like um, I I don't know how much of it is like coaching. It feels like some of that's coaching where they kind of have some assumptions going into the week and and typically those assumptions are correct, but when they're not correct, they, they end up, um, you know, receiving a lot of flack. I mean, for example, the bills, they uh, for most of the year had not been a tremendous running team. Um, and they tended to rely a little bit on passing the ball. Obviously they didn't do that against Dallas. Right. And so maybe that was a miscalculation on their part, obviously having the injury to their nose tackle, Jonathan Hankins played a big role, but you know, drafting Mozzie Smith to be that nose tackle that should have kind of helped resolve that problem. He was having an all right year before then. So they, they are a team that, that tends to either get blown out or blow out, but I do still think they're a pretty good team. I think that Dak Prescott's a very good quarterback and that's kind of the dominant factor in, in almost all of these equations. And and having that plus a good pass rush plus pretty decent players in the secondary, I think that sets you up to succeed more often than fail. It's just when they fail, they fail big. It was interesting what? though how much they really did get manhandled at the line of scrimmage. And when when they're kind of a team like in the offseason, their whole priority was being a tough team, a tough physical team. And maybe it was the cold. You know, they're playing in I, I don't the, I don't know what the temperature was exactly, but it was Buffalo in December. It was cold, and you know, there's. We've seen all, all the academic research has shown that that warm weather teams underperform in cold weather. And so mm-hmm. um, maybe that was part of it, but but it was it was I mean, they just got completely physically dominated. 
Yeah, I, I wish there was like a better answer to that than sometimes that happens, but sometimes that happens, right? It doesn't happen a lot to teams that that are good enough to to be, you know, betting favorites to win the Super Bowl. That's that's maybe a fair point, but I do think that uh, you know, for the most part, their ability to uh, you know throw themselves out of trouble with Dak Prescott and Ceedee Lamb tends to overcome most of my concerns that they have from week to week, especially because, you know, them getting obviously aside from the injury to Jonathan Hankins, them getting blown out, just it didn't seem like there was any consistency to why they got blown out. Right. You can't really map it onto some of the other, even against the 49ers, it seemed like a completely different game. And so how that kind of occurred, I don't know, but I think that uh, generally speaking, like you mentioned, they're pretty good generally up front. Uh, it's more than just Michael Parsons. Like they've had some pretty good players along the edge for a little bit. Their linebacker group is constantly shifting, but it tends to be fairly good. Uh, and that secondary, which is typically what defines how good a defense is in the modern NFL, is a really high-level secondary. Um, you know, maybe they'll be up against teams in the NFC who's go- who are going to try to run the ball against them a lot. But the Eagles tried that; they couldn't do it. And so I don't know that this is going to be like an every game case or even in a repeat game case where they're just not going to be able to hold up against the run because there are other teams that are run dominant that that struggled against them. So um, I don't even know if it's just that they can't run the ball or even if there's a particular scheme of running the ball that they're particularly weak to. It's It's been kind of different every time. In terms of that gap between San Francisco and the field, though, I mean, I really think a big part of that is San Francisco right now is in the driver's seat to lock up that number one spot and you know, with there only being one by, that's just a huge advantage. Yeah, it is. And I think um, NFL pundits at large tend to underplay the advantage of that by, I mean, a free win, right? I mean, that's like, that's like 0.6 wins, right? You have a free win and you have a bye week. And so you can rest. You're getting like a, yeah, you're getting a point and a half or so there. Yeah. So I, I think that that's, that's pretty fair in terms of calculating the advantage. But again, the advantage is about, you know, if you're a home team in that, in that first game, you're going to win like what 54% of the time if you're and that's just that's just home field advantage is like 52 right and you're probably up against a team that wasn't that good especially for the second seed um and so i i'd say your win probability is closer to like 60 so you're adding 0.6 of a win plus the rest i don't know that that justifies that large of a gap right like it's it's huge but it's not the 10 to 1 versus 2 to 1 is really significant well what i mean i think if if you look at the you know, teams they could face in the first round. If you like add their two probabilities together, it should be pretty, you know, that that'll be a lot closer, but it's, uh, I, I think part of it's also that they are the best team in football. So. I mean, yeah, that, that we can move on though. So, <laughs> sorry for harping on that. Yeah, no worries. No, it's, it's what, what I was going to ask is, you know, as far as I know, Jonathan Hankins doesn't play offense and the Cowboys scored what? Seven points. What was the what was that final score? Like yeah, and it not... was like pretty meaningless when they got to seven. Yeah. So yeah. So I think ten. What, right? I mean, didn't they have a field goal in the first half? Yeah, maybe they had ten. Whatever. It's it's not important. My point is that they didn't score very many points. I guess and you watched. Talking a lot about like the defense when the offense, which was you know scoring over thirty, blah blah blah, all this kind of stuff, all of a sudden comes against this Buffalo defense, which. If you think about narratives, the narrative when the, the, you know, they fired Ken Dorsey, but, you know, Milano being out and all the injuries they had, like the, everyone was saying their defense is not very good. So w- what do we make of this? Because certainly their defense has played much better um, the last few weeks. And then what they did to the Cowboys was was pretty impressive. So like are, 
are the Bills, you know, back? Uh, can they put it together and make a run? Or were they ever gone? Yeah, I would argue that the Bills were never really gone. I mean, if you take a look at their underlying numbers, they were far better than the 500 team that they I think they entered the game 500 if I want to either way for most of the season they were considered 500 team because that was the record but uh, you take a look at the back end numbers they were always very very good even though the defense wasn't like living up to everyone's standards a lot of it was just on plays that are basically unsustainable in terms of our ability to predict things going forward you know balls bouncing off a receiver's hands and turning into a pick you know that kind of stuff right and they occurred at high leverage points in games and so they swung things in terms of like win probability added in ways that you know reduced what should have been maybe a three loss uh schedule into a six loss schedule right uh the bills were were always a good team josh allen has always been um, this year has been a top five quarterback in EPA per play. That offense has been consistently pretty good. The run game has ramped up over the past couple of weeks. It's gotten a little bit better. I don't think that that is that meaningful in terms of their wins so much as they've just had, they've just stopped having bad luck happen to them. I think it's kind of a lot of it. And that's on offense on defense. Of course, you know, there's always like, you know, having Von Miller back after the DV stuff. I mean, you hate to talk about it, but that helped. Having, uh, you know, Leonard Floyd, I think it's Leonard Floyd, uh, turn in like a surprising pass rush season, um, that helped. Um, but you know, Ed Oliver's playing a little bit better in terms of, you know, he's always been very good, but he's playing a little bit better this year. And that's all stuff that's kind of been hidden that hasn't been talked about because the Bills have lost games that they shouldn't have lost. But they're they're a pretty good unit that just kind of needs to, first of all, take advantage of of when good stuff happens and not have the bad luck, you know, you know, kind of cloud our judgment of them. Um, but also kind of the the secondary seemed like, hey, that the safeties were pretty old. Turns out they're still pretty smart. And when you don't put too much stress on terms of in terms of like the amount of ground that they have to cover, they can play really, really well. And I think the Bills maybe on the back end adjusted their defense a little bit that um, gave more responsibility to those cornerbacks to kind of lighten the load on those safeties. So let's shift to the AFC then, broadly speaking. Um, the 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 narrative on the Chiefs obviously is that they don't have the offensive weapons this year to contend or to not necessarily contend, to, but, to, but to win, I guess, is that true? And are we to make this Rasheed Rice thing to be real? Meaning like, you know, his, his routes like have gone up every week now where he's probably running the most routes on any of the, on the team and, and they've recognized how important he is. Um, so where, where do you stand on, the Chiefs opportunity to win the Super Bowl or at least win the AFC. I think that the quarterback or passing efficiency is maybe a better way to put it in the context of this conversation. I think that that'll improve a little bit, but not substantially. I think that that weapons problem is real. I think the Chiefs have been testing the limits of every other area of their team that they can invest in and decrease their investment in skill players because I think there's just been an assumption from that front office that having Patrick Mahomes allows you to overcome a lot of the talent deficiencies that you'll have so they can continue to buy cheap. Now, a second-round pick is not that cheap, obviously. Rasheed Rice was uh, a somewhat significant investment, but obviously it's also not the same as having, like, you know, Tyree Kill, right? And so, um, you know, putting out a small amount of free agency dollars for people like Marquez Valdez-Scantling or whatever, I think was part of their strategy to beef up the offensive line. That was such a problem a couple of Super Bowls ago uh, to make make that secondary uh, much or make that defense just generally much better. They've invested a lot of uh, resources into that defense, both in terms of multiple, um, you know, first and second round picks for edge rushers to complement Chris Jones, multiple picks in the secondary that has turned out to be a pretty good investment. 
And they've been kind of using the latitude that they've given themselves among the weapons in order to invest elsewhere. And I think that that kind of shows. As for Rasheed Rice, I'm kind of curious about what that's going to look like going forward, because he does have a fumbling problem or a ball security problem. And that appeared again this last week. And if that's the case, we might see his routes go down because teams tend to punish players for fumbling the ball. And uh, the Chiefs seemingly are not so invested in Rice that they're willing to over like it's not like Adrian Peterson, right? He fumbles the ball. Who cares? Right. It's like. You're not good enough to for us to continue taking these risks. At the same time, every other skill position player, aside from Travis Kelsey and even Travis Kelsey this last week, are making these catastrophic mistakes where they're dropping the ball, they're they're tipping the balls into opponents' hands for interceptions that Mahomes didn't really, you know, didn't throw poorly enough for that to have been an interception. Um, I I, I think it does create a problem. And you they're lining up at, offsides. How about lining? They're lining up offsides. Up yeah, <laughs> um, but like you take. <laughs> I, it's funny because like you see uh, the next game, everyone's like paying attention to the receivers and turns out in other games, receivers are also lighting up offsides, but without the flag. So now the, the conspiracies kind of well, go up. And and how many, how many um, offensive offsides were called this past week? I saw at least one. Uh, I think there was like two this past week, which is uh pretty rare. Historically speaking, we're up to 14 or 15 on the season, which I, like, mean, I, think, uh, I think that there's gotta be a of emphasis. Points of emphasis. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's an important one. Well, can we can we talk then about a little bit about the AFC futures because I'm looking at them right now and it's interesting because you know you have Baltimore sitting at two to one. You have the teams that are currently in the playoffs, right? You have some really interesting numbers. I mean, you have the Browns at 25 to one, you have the Chiefs at three to one, the Dolphins at plus three fifty, you have the Bengals at fifty-five to one. And you have the Bills sitting at five to one. So are, are are the Bills value there, or is there any value in any of those? Uh there uh there might be some long shot value in the Bengals. I uh I I don't know what to make of Jake Browning, is the deal, right? Like his statistics are astounding, right? Um, but we've seen a bunch of backup quarterbacks put together two, three, four stretches of games where um you know it's like really high level stuff hey i cover the vikings primarily i saw what josh dobbs did for like two games right um but with the thing with browning is that not only has he done it for a little bit longer than these bursts of high level play typically last about four games he's done it against a variety of types of looks he's done it really well against blitz heavy defenses he's done pretty well against uh, defenses that tend to drop a lot in coverage um he does a pretty good job of um, you know, if you take a look at stuff like first read statistics or how often um, players throw into tight windows, now Browning throws into tight windows a lot, uh, not as much, I think, as Mahomes has been forced to this year, but Browning throws into tight windows a lot, and he doesn't really have the arm typically associated with really good tight window throwers, but he does tend to throw people open a lot as well. And so his capacity for getting stuff done seems to be a lot better than one would expect based off of those odds. I think the defense for the Bengals is pretty good. I'm not going to say it's a lead or anything like that. And I don't think the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl at 55 to one odds, you know, as an AFC tie. Like, I think, I think those are a pretty good odds just generally, right? Like, I just think that that's, you know, if I'm going to say that the, if, if I think that there's a 2% chance that they could win the AFC, I, th- I think that that's there is the thing. So like, I don't know if I trust Browning, but I trust him a little bit more than that. So I think there's some value there. Let's see. Uh, you mentioned uh, the Dolphins at plus three fifty. I kind of like that too. That Dolphins defense since Jalen Ramsey returned is is really high level, uh, and that offense continues to play pretty well. When I mean, we saw that, even when they didn't have Tyreek Hill, you know they've got you know really good offensive production, and so uh, when he comes back, that offensive production will be better too. So I think that 
Uh, even though the Ravens are probably my personal favorite to win, I think that you know those two areas with the Dolphins and the Bengals uh, provide some level of value. The Cincinnati's issue is that their last three games are at Pittsburgh, at Kansas City, and at home against Cleveland. So there are there's maybe one win for sure out there, but like not for sure, but I mean expected value in terms of right. It's not very high the wins there. So I think that may be the main issue of why they're 55 to one. Oh, Sorry, Rufus, go ahead. Jeff, I just I just ran um I ran simulations on unabated using the Massey Peabody ratings and I have Cincinnati as 103 to one to win the AFC. But I also have them as one and a half points worse than an average team on a neutral field right now because again the Browning thing. Um Although one interesting point I want—he's not to old enough up. or white. He's not old enough or white enough. Well, he's <laughs> undrafted. He was an undrafted free agent. Not a lot yeah, of those it's... guys. I mean, Tony Romo um, ended up being good, but um, yeah, I mean, it, but, this, it's it's really I mean, how Brady was almost undrafted. Right, the, the MVP <laughs> favorite was literally the last pick in the draft. But my question is, what is the skill that you think that is hardest to identify in a quarterback? Uh, decision making. Um, I, I think that, yeah, I think right. that generally speaking, you can do a pretty good job of identifying stuff like accuracy, mm-hmm. uh, arm strength, even pocket presence, which is something that I think tends to get misunderstood. You generally do a pretty good job of understanding like when somebody has, you know, a keen uh, eye for pressure and whether or not they've got the ability to kind of overcome that pressure to throw. Now, in terms of play under pressure, that doesn't, you know, that's pretty unsustainable. But the background skill of performing under pressure is relatively easy. But decision-making is tough because you don't, it's it's tough to know what an NFL offense is supposed to be doing from play to play. The broadcast angle doesn't give us all of the tools that we need to evaluate decision-making. And then how you determine what is an appropriate risk reward calculus for a specific quarterback should be different for every quarterback based off of their capabilities. And so you can say this quarterback should have thrown that one, but this other quarterback should not have thrown that one under identical um, circumstances. So it's, it's really tough, I think, to figure out decision-making and you can't just look at stuff like interception rate or yards per attempt in order to kind of calculate that. Yeah. And and I think you also have different guys that were in different systems in college and had different quality coaches. I think that's one thing you don't like, I think certain guys have been in good systems and they have, they, they've kind of already made this leap that, that due to good coaching largely, whereas other guys might be raw and have not had good coaching and have a lot of improving left to, to do. I read that article about um, the quarterback coach in green Bay. I don't know if any of you saw that he's, he's kind of, he was with Aaron Rodgers uh, in the past before then he was with, Kyler Murray in Arizona. Now he's back with, he was back with the Packers last year and this year and, and all the quarterbacks rave about what he's done for, for their footwork mostly. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I think there is learning and improvements that can be done on the physical side. If you have the right coaching in the NFL, but also it's just so hard to know how someone's going to be able to process, like how, how someone's going to be able to handle well, so- the intellectual, right. The, the cerebral so Rufus, part it's, of it's being a, it's quarterback. It's kind yeah. of a fascinating, it's kind of fascinating based on the metrics that you use to assess talent, right? Ultimately, you you say like someone's undrafted and- Well, that's my, that's my no, prior, let me, right? Let me, let it let takes me, a while me, to come off the, that prior. But eventually, but, yeah. Yeah, but we we spend a lot of time and we, we talked about this in the Kyle Bodie uh, Body podcast. Um, and we talked a little bit about this in the context of Moneyball and Billy Bean. There's just this general like lack of acknowledgement of how much people can improve 
and how, you know, like when these guys get drafted, they're 21, 22 years old, right? There, there should be an opportunity for a 22 year old to get better between 22 and, you know, I don't know what prime, like if you're not playing and you're actually just practicing, and you're not taking the wear and tear, your prime years could be in your late twenties, early thirties, right? Like when you're physically mature, mentally mature, that kind of thing. So, you know, could that be true of someone like Browning? And then um, like, you know, I'd love to segue this into this conversation about Baker Mayfield and generally quarterbacks broadly where, you know, Mayfield went from, you know, like kind of system quarterback in college, like largely under evaluated from a physical standpoint to all of a sudden should be the first overall pick then decision-making bad, bad, you know, basically going to be out of the league, got one more shot at Tampa wins the job looks generally not great, but all of a sudden now looks much better. Is that a factor of the offensive line or is this just, you know, like these quarterbacks obviously win when they're surrounded by good players and, and we know Evans and Godwin and the healthy Tampa offensive line. So, so like, that was a lot of meandering, but I just, this conversation about quarterbacks, you know, it, it, like, I guess the question would be Baker Mayfield, do we trust them as Tampa threat in, in, in the playoffs? So there's, there's a couple of things that, uh, and I'll get to the Baker stuff at the end of my answer, but there's a couple of things that I think play into this conversation, which is why is it that undrafted, you know, quarterbacks do so poorly in the NFL? There's obviously a lot of reasons. The prior, the, the primary reason, of course, is that they're not good, right? And that they're not going to be good, right? That's why they were undrafted. That's fine. I think that that's fair. Um, but the problem is when we take a pool of undrafted players and, and just tag them with just undrafted, we're looking at them in a way in which teams don't, right? There's priority undrafted free agents, there's draftable drafted free agents, and then there's, you know, this group, and then there's tryouts, right? And uh, Browning, if I remember correctly, and now that the data is a little bit more publicly available over the last couple of years, Browning got one of the higher contracts of undrafted free agents. And I imagine you can fold that into the way that you evaluate priors. You know, if, if, if you could create an eighth round, that's where he would have gone versus, you know, this ninth round plus that would be kind of this, re this rest of this group of undrafted. I think that that would be fair. But I think the second reason that undrafted quarterbacks do poorly, and again, this is secondary to the fact that undrafted quarterbacks are just not good. I think that's the primary thing. But the second reason is they don't get to practice, right? Like they don't have, and so when we talk about quarterback development and quarterbacks getting better, one of the reasons is that they are the third string quarterback in training camp. And I don't know if you've ever been to like a, a practice or a training camp or anything like that, but they just like never take snaps, almost ever, right? Uh, and and that I think like, I, that would be a big part of like how you would develop as a quarterback. Uh, and so you enter a situation where Tony Romo was the primary backup and then immediately, you know, was able to start, or you enter a situation where even if we go to like third and fourth round picks like Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson, they win a starting job. They're primarily backups. They're, they're second stringers, right. Uh, that end up earning time with the first string and then using that time with the first string to catapult themselves into a starting job. Well, Jake Browning is now practicing with the first team. I think that's a little bit different than um, an undrafted quarterback, or like a Joshua Dobbs who just didn't get to practice with the Vikings, right? Or, or even you know what's happening with uh, with with uh, the Vikings in terms of like you know, now it's Nick Mullins and then Jaron Hall and then Joshua Jaron Hall never got to practice either. One other element that's kind of interesting, and you can't really use this effectively in models, but it's one reason I would kind of push back against the prior, which is that when the Vikings drafted Kellen Mond in the third round, it was baked in the cake that he was going to make the team his rookie year. 
But there's some reporting that would suggest that the front office didn't want to do that, that they actually would rather have kept Browning over the third round pick. And the only reason that they kept the third round pick was because he was a third round pick. Right. And again, it's really difficult to incorporate that into a model, but it's one reason I would push back against, you know, using the full strength of that prior in this particular circumstance. Uh, But back to kind of questions about quarterback development and how it applies to somebody like Baker Mayfield. Uh, It's really interesting because Mayfield has succeeded in situations where he hasn't had a lot of that practice time. When he went to L.A., his first game traded to the L.A. Rams was spectacular. He didn't get a ton of practice time. And then it kind of petered off a little bit. But that was another area where you were like, hey, he's got a pretty decent supporting cast. Maybe that offensive line isn't what he's used to because the Browns offensive line was quite good the year that they made the playoffs and then kind of degraded in quality along with you know, his play. So maybe that's kind of a signal there, but also he didn't always have wonderful. He didn't have poor receivers, but he didn't have wonderful receivers with the Browns. And then we see him in that, in that environment with Carolina that was just awful, bad offensive line, only DJ Moore there, which they don't even have that anymore, but like only DJ Moore was their receiver. He couldn't succeed in that environment. Goes to the Rams. They've got a little bit more. He does a little bit more, goes to the Buccaneers. Um, And there was kind of a middle stretch of the season where it didn't seem like it was completely working out for him. But I think that you're right that the health of that offensive line played a somewhat significant role. I don't think Godwin and Evans are what they were two, three years ago, just from a health perspective and from a talent perspective because of those health questions, but they are still very good receivers. And so having two very good receivers, having a good offensive line, you'd like a third receiver that you could be a little bit more uh, confident in, whether it's a tight end or a slot guy. But that's that's a really good supporting cast to work with. And Mayfield has consistently succeeded in situations where he's had that supporting cast. You go back to college, he had, you talk about college coaching being really, you know, substantially different across colleges. Well, he had one of the best, right? And he had a great system in Oklahoma. He was up against soft defensive environment in the Big 12. He had really great receivers, truly astounding receivers. And he was one of the highest adjusted yards per attempt quarterbacks in NCAA history. I think that that all plays a role. So I think that you know, a lot of times we put quarterbacks on a spectrum of good to not good. And I think that that's fair and appropriate for like 90% of the circumstances that we have these conversations. But when it comes to somebody like a Baker Mayfield, who, and I think this is kind of true of Kirk Cousins as well, who primarily succeed in situations where where the supporting cast is there for them, their drop-off versus other quarterbacks in bad situations seems to be more dramatic. And I think that that could be the case with somebody like a Mayfield. The thing is, you have to be careful with that because then they're also more prone to injuries among their supporting cast, which means that there's going to be some volatility there when you kind of try to game them out and see what they're going to do. Because if you're going to try to project the Buccaneers for the next three games, then if they make the playoffs the next couple of games after that, there could be a substantial injury along that offensive line um, that could complicate things that would not complicate things for another quarterback performing just as well. But I, I do think that that, you know, it's it's tough uh, when we're constructing models to incorporate the idea that like everybody is different, but like that is also the reality models um, can only do so much and and stuff is pretty messy. And so when you get to quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield, like Jimmy Garoppolo, like Kirk Cousins, um, you have to make some considerations for the fact that that supporting cast might do more for them than it might for others. So that's, that's really interesting. This, yeah. The, the quarterbacks, wanna, sorry, go ahead. Rufus. I, I want to get, I think an undervalued thing is finding a quarterback in college who did not have good coaching, who has, Basically, like he has more room to improve, and and like almost Josh think Allen. of it as like like Josh Allen. Yeah, but that's a like he was raw, and people were like, "Well, he's, you know, all the by all the metrics, like these things that he's done are not, but I, but I would, predict I would, success I would, in the NFL." But he's someone that had room to grow, probably because he wasn't in a great. I I think I mean he wasn't. I, in I a would great I would argue that I would argue that 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 
that we make these so quarterback evaluation and and honestly like Arif you you hit on like this whole concept of just like cognitive bias and why these decisions are made so poorly right you have like some cost bias which is the whole reason that a Kellen Mond makes the team when he probably shouldn't have because you made a well, mistake, you drafted him in third round and all of a but, sudden there's the sunk cost bias, right? I, but I, I want to push back on that though. I I wouldn't, I mean, just for off of like a preseason, are you going to really like, I, I mean, maybe I don't, maybe I'm wrong to, and don't know how much that's if, actually If your third for. round pick is bad enough that there are people in your front office saying we should cut him, I, that's, I, that's a bad pick, <laughs> I, I guess, or, or, or <laughs> yeah. but or like, Rufus, were, you know, you're judging, as you're judging he was the, gonna be, yeah. Yeah. You're judging the three, the whatever, the five weeks of of training camp, and there's more than that, right? They come in early, they practice they habits, them. all some, that stuff. Yeah, no, you're, a, right. Yeah, you're right. So you that's that should trump obviously like a you know draft evaluation, which is far from perfect by any means, right? Yeah, but a draft but evaluation we, is based on years of actual play and games and stuff, typically. Although you're you're right that that draft evaluations move very quickly. Like Burrow went from being it's maybe a, a sixth a really, round pick going into his well, his, his final Anthony season to being the number thing. one overall yeah. pick, right? So, yeah. so this is this is this is so there's there's again there, there's like this some cost bias where people where you get drafted and and Rufus you even do it in your model because you have no other way to do it but like where you get drafted connotes a level of talent and that's be, having data based on a completely inexact science like meaning like you're you're taking your your further extrapolating out this thing that just like so so there's there's that and then and then there's this concept of survivor bias i think which which arif really hit on well which is like that's huge these you know the self-fulfilling prophecy of these quarterbacks that get drafted early and i think this is a great way for us to segue into this conversation about you know this is a conversation the segue about this conversation about brock purdy and about Mac Jones and about sliding door moments where is, you know, like the, 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 I, as someone that's like now 49ers fan, because I'm done with the Patriots for this oh year. Oh my God. You're such me. a freaking bandwagoner. Well, I live in the, I live in the town. So that's fine. It's, it's fun to celebrate. It's you, fun to celebrate. The town too. He calls it the town. Of course. The town, he, you know, he, yeah. you, okay. He, you he's had like life San so hard. Or is it Patriots or is it like fan? an exurb or it must be so difficult. Like, no, <laughs> It's you know it's, Red Sox, kind Patriots, Celtics. It's, it's, Bruins. it's kind of a joke, Rufus, I'm so sorry. because I will I will always be a Patriots fan. I will live and die with them. But when you're in that weird precarious situation where you actually literally want your team to lose, it's a weird fandom for that year. So you kind of got to like shut down for a year because like when they beat the the Steelers, I wasn't happy. I mean, I was like happy a little bit because I don't want everyone to think like Bill Belichick is completely past his prime because I don't think he is. I think he still has. He still has his fastball. I think he'll be fine. But anyways, that, let's not talk about the Patriots. I think I think the the Brock Purdy any personnel decisions. Brock Purdy, Tom Brady, like this this notion of you know quarterback evaluation, how imperfect it is, and then ultimately Brock Purdy, this story of him being a system quarterback or not, and then now being the MVP favorite. Like, what do we make of this? That one's tough, especially because Purdy himself has been a substantially different player over the course of his college and NFL career. So in college, right, one of the reasons he was a seventh round, nearly undrafted player is because he was wild. 
Like he would continue to make these crazy decisions. He'd play a lot of hero ball. He'd scramble all the time. He loved throwing into tight windows. Uh, and he loved giving his guys a chance. He's at Iowa State. His guys are not going to win all their chances. And I know that Iowa State was actually fairly good for a while, but like, let's be serious. Like it's, it's, you're not, you're not recruiting against Alabama, right? If you give your guys a chance and your receivers from Iowa State, there's only so much you could do, right? And so that's who he was. His first uh, year in San Francisco, up until basically the final two games of the season in the playoffs, he played a very controlled version of football that he had never played in his life. He's, he's getting to his first read and he's throwing off his first read. He's throwing on time. He wasn't scrambling all that often. When pressure arrived, he threw the ball away rather than trying to keep the play alive. Then the last couple of games of the season and the first couple of games of the playoffs before he got injured, he started playing hero ball again. And it almost went disastrously. It just so happened that like Seattle and Dallas, they happened to drop a couple of picks that they had available to them. And, you know, that didn't get put baked into the narrative. Uh, and then in the second half of both of those games, he kind of turned it around. He continued to play a little bit of hero ball, but played really well. Well, the beginning of the season, he was playing fairly controlled football, a little bit more improvisational, but, you know, whatever. And there are moments during the season where he goes back to that level of improvisational play but now it doesn't feel wild. Now he's doing it a lot better than he did before. And so he's making better decisions under pressure. He's doing a better job when he's scrambling, finding an open guy, which he wasn't doing a very good job of before. When he's throwing on the run, those balls are more accurate than they were before. He's an insanely difficult quarterback to evaluate because he's developed. That's a big part of it. But he completely changed his playing style in a way that you don't see. Like Josh Allen developed as a quarterback. But he's playing the same kind of football he did at Wyoming. He's just doing it better. That's true for most quarterbacks. Uh, so it's very difficult to kind of break down Purdy because if he was playing like he did last year for most of the season and putting up these numbers, I would 100% throw myself behind the idea that he's a system quarterback, um, that it's all built off of the success of those around him. And I'm still partial to that idea. I think that there is something really substantial there, but I think it is, it is significantly less true than it was last year because he's doing a lot of the stuff on his own. He's throwing into tight windows a little bit more often. He's more accurate on those than he was before. He's throwing off of his second read and third read much more often than he was before. Um, he's throwing passes that are not everyday pass. I don't know how to put it. They're like NFL throws or however you want to put it. They're high degree of difficulty passes that he is completing as opposed to for most of last year and a good chunk of this year, low degree of difficulty passes that turn into really high value plays because of stuff like yards after the catch or the scheme or whatever. That said, I do think that like, quote unquote, the real MVP of that team is still Kyle Shanahan, who is an insanely good coach. Like people talk about how good he is. And I still think he's underrated as a coach. Like we've seen what happens when CJ Beathard and Jimmy Graham and Nick Mullins go to other places, right? Like, He's producing at an above average rate in terms of yards per attempt and EPA per play with these quarterbacks. Maybe not Bethard so much, but still reasonable, right? And then they go to these other places they don't do nearly as well. Some of that's the supporting cast, but you can't tell me like the Vikings have a poor supporting cast, right? Like Nick Mullins, I, I think his numbers, like he, like 11 yards or an attempt, whatever. His numbers are fine, but his play was a poor, I think, with the Vikings. They have a top tier offensive line. They've got Justin Jefferson. They've got some pretty good receivers. But it's not like when he was playing with the 49ers. And I think that Kyle Shannon does a really good job uh, figuring out what the opponent's defense is attempting to do and countering it, putting players in space, acquiring players that have a skill set that fits them, uh, fits his offense in particular, right? Like Christian McCaffrey is obviously a good back wherever he goes, but he's a great back in that system that allows him uh, a little bit of extra space in terms of yards after the catch. Uh, and so I think that, yeah, I mean, having Debo Samuel, having Brandon Ayuk, having Christian McCaffrey... That's all really good, 
and it's great for Shanahan and it's great for Purdy. But if you put Purdy in uh, Kansas City, right, where uh, you've got a great coach, you've got great play design, but you don't really have the receivers and the way that those receivers are asked to run routes or how they run routes or how they win is different than what happens, even though they're both like West Coast systems, is different than what happens in San Francisco. I don't know that he would necessarily succeed. And so this question, like you mentioned Mac Jones pretty quickly, this question, would Mac Jones succeed? Yeah, he's the kind of quarterback, in my opinion, that would probably succeed in a Shanahan offense, but not to the degree that Purdy would. Maybe potentially to the degree that Garoppolo would, but his numbers were actually extremely good in San Francisco. So I don't know, but it's like on that kind of spectrum where I think he'd be way better than Bethard and Mullins were. And I think that he'd be much more than a starting quality quarterback in that environment um, because he knows how to get the ball out on time. He's reasonably accurate when he's throwing in rhythm. And that's important. It's when he's throwing in rhythm. And uh, when he's throwing to his first read, his first read is open. And his ability to identify who that first read should be is is reasonably good. I think Purdy also throws with some of the best anticipation in the NFL, and that's a skill that is somewhat unique to him. And so that shouldn't be ignored, that he enables that system in ways that other quarterbacks would not. But I still think it's mostly Kyle Shanahan. I just don't want to... I've been taking away from Brock Purdy for two seasons now. Uh, It's a great bit on Twitter to disbelieve in him. But uh, if I'm being 100% honest, I mean, there are there are qualities that he has that make that system go better than it would otherwise. Um, I just still think it's primarily a Shanahan thing. I mean, you you just have to watch him. Like he's his accuracy is is good, and his ability to throw, like to your point, throw these guys open, and even just some of the improvising he's done this year has been, yeah. Anyways, uh, Rufus, last question for Reef. You got anything? No, I was going to say though he definitely doesn't look like a system quarterback from what I've seen. Yeah, the 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 biggest problem is that like his. (laughs) I mean, he doesn't have a Jeff George arm, but neither did (laughs) Peyton Manning. So uh, I think one thing that has complicated this discussion is that his most watched game was his most system quarterback type game where 75, I think it was like a Monday night against uh, the Eagles, right? They, but it was like 75% of the yards came after the catch and he was not asked to do high degree of difficulty stuff. And that was his most watched game. And so a lot of people are left with this impression that he is a system quarterback because of what he did last year and what he did in that game. But there's like, there's a lot throughout the season that we've seen from him where it's just like, yeah, actually not a lot of quarterbacks could do the thing that he just did there. Um, now, the the game that he just had, I think, is very funny. Four touchdowns sounds great. One of those touchdowns is like this weird ball to Christian McCaffrey. There is nobody within 15 yards of McCaffrey. McCaffrey falls down, gets up, yeah. and then runs into the end zone, right? And then right before that, he throws this throw to George Kittle that everyone's raving about. It's a normal throw. I don't think that one's particularly impressive. Um, but some of the other touch, like the throw to, um, I think, Ayuk in the corner. But it was either Samuel or Ayuk. That was a in pretty a good throw incredible yeah. uh back and shoulder, so like that's like back shoulder yeah. pylon yeah yeah it's beautiful yeah. and and that's the thing that makes him less of a or not a system quarterback but it's like the stuff that's but so that, or... just the just the nature arif of the term system quarterback right like yeah. who did we call system quarterback through three super bowls probably tom brady tom brady right like people were calling I, I, tom brady I think a system he was quarterback a system for a long time I think quarterback at the beginning of his career well, what, for sure. what, i mean what does that even what does that even mean to it be means a he's a game manager you, it's a game manager and it's somebody who isn't this, it's the same question what is that the same what does that mean like what does it mean to do so, okay. it means you don't turn the ball over it means you have good players around you right right like making, it's like you're not making you, mistakes okay so i'll, I'll say it's, this it's almost like a it's almost like a sorry go ahead yeah, I, I think that the way to conceive of this is just to think of 
how often are you asked to make low degree of difficulty throws? And to what extent can you identify those throws? And if it's not hard to identify those throws and you're not, and you're making a ton of those throws and you're having success, I think that that is a good indication that you are what we would popularly conceive of as a game manager or a system quarterback, where the throws are made open for you either by the quality of the receivers or by the nature of the offensive coordinating. And the throws are not that difficult and it's fairly easy to identify who you need to throw the ball to. That's what that is. And I think that's what Tom Brady was through three Super Bowls. And then I think he became a better quarterback. I think he became an elite quarterback in a lot of ways. He de he developed much better pocket presence, which I think not a lot of people talk about, but his ability to, because he gets rid of the ball pretty quickly, but in the instances where he doesn't, he does a really great job of navigating the pocket in these small ways that force pass rushers to find themselves taking the wrong angle. Right. And so when pressure comes, it doesn't it doesn't he doesn't get hit and he navigates the pocket and then he gets rid of the ball. That's not something that we, that appeared at the beginning of his career. His accuracy is better. That's nice. But his deep ball was better, not because his arm got stronger, but because he understood his mechanics better. And I think it's fair to say Brady was overrated as a quarterback through three Super Bowls and then maybe underrated for a Super Bowl. I don't know. And then and then it's fine. He's great. He's fantastic. He's really good, but mostly for the back end of his, I think it's fine to call him that, but like, that's another thing that we, once we tag a quarterback as a type, we tend to stick to it and we shouldn't because Brady's pretty good evidence that that Purdy is really good evidence that the initial style of play that they show up to in the NFL is not the style of play they'll have throughout their career. Ben Roethlisberger is really good evidence of that. Rogers too. Right. Rogers changed. Rogers, yeah. Do you yeah, remember Rogers at the beginning of his career? He had like historically high sack rates too. And yeah, he, he totally and and, he and now that. he has in, insane throwaway rates, and yeah. uh, that's better. <laughs> it turns out. So yeah, uh, so quarterbacks change. Can we name our favorite system quarterbacks of all time? Oh man, um, or just Joe who Montana. comes to mind? Uh, <laughs> Joe, I was about to say Joe Montana. Joe Montana's <laughs> one. Uh, Tom Brady too. Yeah, um, yeah. But not not Steve Young. Steve Young's not a system quarterback. He's just no. Good. Even though he played in the exact same system that that uh, Joe Montana did, right? Like yeah, they... yeah, he did. Yeah, but he, he he didn't play to the system, so he's not a system quarterback. Uh, <laughs> no, he's athletic enough that you can say that he's not a system quarterback, right? Exactly. That, that yeah. was kind of like That's what I was what I yeah. wanted to get into was there. There's just like with quarterbacks, there's this incredible strange bias that we have based on like a, an athletic quarterback versus a non-athletic quarterback. Like there's a certain skill set that shows up that we don't value, even though it may have more value to winning. Like we just talked about decision-making decision-making ultimately is something that probably gets lumped into a system quarterback. If you're good at decision-making, it makes you a good system quarterback. If you are athletic Right. It, it means that you're not a system quarterback and you're sort of like an elite athletic talent. I don't know. It's well, it's it's a fascinating conversation. And, and there's, a, there's it's a what's observable too, versus right? what isn't. Right. I mean, it's the same reason that we harp on fourth down decision making, because we can observe that, whereas we can't observe the game yes. plan or, or yeah. you know, what's going on in the locker room and, and how how this coach is like really, you know, helped this offensive tackles technique improve. Yeah, it, 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 there's also a push and pull too, right? I think that it would probably be okay to say that Jalen Hurts is a system quarterback, but we just don't conceive of that, right? Where because he's athletic and because they run the ball a lot. I think it's probably okay, and I think he's an MVP quality quarterback, but that's fine. But I think also if a quarterback's athletic, you're unlikely to call him a system quarterback. But also if a quarterback is very good at decision-making and get rid of the ball quickly, you're very unlikely to call them an athletic quarterback, even if they are. That's like the Andrew Luck syndrome. Very yeah, athletic quarterback. That's a good point.
so before we did depart quarterbacks, I want to know your opinion of the Atlanta quarterback situation and another undrafted quarterback, Taylor Heineke is, is being Heineke. reinserted as the starter. And he's a guy, I mean, I, I'd love your take on him. Cause I heard this t- take on Purdy and how he's progressed and Heineke, you know, who I got to watch in Washington for a while is one of these guys. That's certainly maximizes his talent. I think definitely yeah, not a, a system quarterback. Yeah. He's wild. Uh, the only reason he uh, wasn't the backup quarterback for the Vikings he spent a year on injured reserve for the Vikings. I'm trying to remember what year it was. And because of quarterback injuries, he would have started, but he didn't because he was on IR. The reason is because he put his foot through a glass door and and tore a bunch of ligaments. Now, he claims, and I have verified through sources, that he wasn't drunk, which is crazy to me. He just did that late at night, I guess. Um, he couldn't that... see that it was too clean. He had a cleaner that was too good. He couldn't see that it was actually closed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he was on IR for a year, but like, he's like, he plays really wild. He, I mean, talk about a pretty good athlete. Right. But like, uh, he, I mean, he, first of all, not good coaching old dominion. I think he was the first starting quarterback in old dominions history, but like, uh, yeah, he's an interesting player because I don't know that he's gotten a lot of opportunities or time to develop, but, uh, when he plays, it's fun. I don't know if it's good, but it's fun. Uh, and he gives guys chances and Atlanta has, really good skill position players that are just not being featured and, and maybe giving guys chances is, is what you need because Desmond Ritter, he's a guy that I think a lot of people wanted to be a system quarterback, right? It would be a harken back to that discussion. And he's not, he doesn't have the accuracy for it. Uh, and he doesn't have the processing speed for it, but Heineke, I don't know. Heineke is fun. I think that he's probably never going to be a top 32 quarterback, but it's not as if the best 32 quarterbacks play, Right. Like quarterback talent is not evenly distributed throughout the teams and teams will often play worse quarterbacks for a variety of reasons. Right. But I, I don't know that Heineke will ever be a top 32 quarterback, is but that because is... of accuracy or arm strength. Both. I think, um, I think that he writes checks that he can't cash with some of his throws because of the arm strength. Uh, and then also the accuracy is not always going to be there to best enable those playmakers to like get yards after the catch or have exclusive access to the ball when the ball is in the air. But he takes the chances he should take, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which if you have a team that's an underdog, like he's who you oh, want. 100%. Yeah. You want, you like, want a volatile quarterback that, that is either going to throw a touchdown or a pick, right? Because yeah. losing by 30 is the same as losing by two. Exactly. Hello, Mac Jones. Yeah. All right. All right, Arif. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, for it's sure. Had giving us knowledge on the NFL, um, the system quarterback debate will go on. Um, Brad Johnson, uh, Trent Dilfer. Oh, that's a good one. That's there we go. One. Was Trent Rich Gannon a system a quarterback? No, nah, he's not a system quarterback. Only saw? Okay. He did yeah, pretty he well in the system, though. Mark but Griffin, yeah. system quarterback, I think. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. We're going I think way back, Super Bowl winners. Kurt, Kurt Warner, <laughs> system quarterback. What a hundred percent. It was just a really, it was just a really good system. It's so, a great system. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all all right. right. Thanks. Peace out. Uh, we'll talk to you guys all on the other side. Bye. Well, that was our interview with Arif Hassan. Um, and, you know, I, I think the quarterback conversation is fascinating. And this idea of quarterback being such a important position in terms of winning and losing, we, we know that's true. And it being a, a position that we're still very bad at evaluating. I mean, all you need to do is look at the last, whatever, five drafts and see what's happened. We had this tremendous quarterback draft with guys like Zach Wilson and Mac Jones 
all picked in what the top 15 picks, Justin Fields, like the whole on and on Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And uh, then you got Brock Purdy, you know, you have a bunch of, and I think what's interesting and, and is it because of the injuries this year that we're just seeing so many more of these backups or is it because like, why is it that we're seeing so many more backups and whatnot? And again, like this more idea, injuries. it's just more injuries. Why do you, what do more you injuries, the but, more injuries? But, to? And I think the, the position is less deep than it used to be. Fewer deep, fewer deep. Fewer deep. And um, to be quite honest, I don't think that the high level of quarterback, the, the sort of elite quarterbacks, there's, they're fewer now than there were 10 years less, ago. Less. <laughs> okay, um, Jeff. So, okay. So let's think, let's, let's unpack that. Why are but, there, but, but I just wanted to say Joe Flacco is still playing. You remember that debate? Is Joe Flacco elite? Elite. That was well, you 10 know, 10 years ago, almost exactly. It, that's because he, isn't that because he called himself elite? I think so. And then, I, don't know. I mean, the Flacco, Flacco was like a fascinating study, right? Cause he went to Delaware wasn't an FBS quarterback, like was highly drafted out of Delaware, but has like physical because he has the physical skills. Yep. Yeah. He's like tall, white, strong, all that kind of stuff that like kind of like Josh Allen. Have... He had the physical no Josh Allen was it well Josh, Josh Allen, Allen has more physical skills. I agree. But Josh Allen yes. was drafted because of his physical have skills you... rather than his performance so, in college. So you know in the in the uh Bet the process, bingo, name drop, Jeff, whatever. But like, I've met Josh Allen and, and hung out with him, and the dude is just enormous. He's enormous without pads on, right? Like, it's just he's a huge guy, and it's like, anyway. So he's he's no stick. What what who coincidentally what we, is the quarterback what, for the Los Angeles Chargers? Easton Stick. Yeah, I had to like look him up to see if there was any chance that he might be better than people thought. Because last week I was like looking at that oakland the raiders game but he's like a but journey he's, he's like 28 years old right but he's your guy who's what north dakota he's a north dakota state or north dakota guy i forget which which one is north the, dakota state i believe yeah. yeah so he's one of these guys that that came from a football powerhouse that was not d1 or not yeah fbs well tyson tyson bajan right like he yeah. was division two look i tend um, to think these guys those guys tend to be undervalued because it's so hard to evaluate, as we said, the sort what if, of the what intellect strategy... part, like the processing, but what's between your ears. As Jack Nicholas once told me, the only processor he needed was between his ears. What if what if you had a strategy of not drafting any quarterbacks and every year bringing like 10 undrafted free agents who had some level of success at some level at, at or had some have some physical attributes that you believe... And then you just brought him into like this quarterback camp and just spent a bunch of time and it had like a better evaluation system and coaching. And you, you, you like were able to over the course of say a month or two really evaluate them. And then you pick like a few that you bring into camp. And then, you know, with the idea that we're really bad at this and instead of spending a lot of draft capital on these guys that fail and maybe we're much better at evaluating say offensive linemen or some other position and we do that we spend our draft capital there and instead on the quarterback situation we just you know go with god and like hope that we land one of these guys and can develop them yeah i mean i I think i think it all comes down to how much can you actually glean from practices from training camp versus how much do you learn from watching actual gameplay 
Yeah. And, and well, if, so maybe if you can learn a lot from, from practices as the Minnesota Vikings apparently did about Kellen Mond, then, you know, maybe there is something to that. It's Kellen Mond out of the league. I mean, we've, we've focused a lot on Kellen Mond. This, this has been the Kellen Mond episode. I feel like, um, do you remember no what, what, do you remember what college he played at? Yeah. Which one? Wait, was he Florida state? Nope. Or am I thinking the other guy? Wait, hold Texas on. Texas A&M. Yeah, there you go. And he was okay. in college. He was in well, college look, for his It was the Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo, was. He was in the Jimbo Fisher section of my brain. Oh, I see it. That's which which part of your brain is that? It's the upper left quadrant. You want to give you want to give a pick, Rufus? We we haven't given picks sure. for a while. Do you know By that? By the way, Joe Flacco, did you, I don't know if you saw my... I don't know if you saw um there was somebody tweeted out like they got AI to draw to do a um combina- combination of Joe Flacco and Kevin Stefanski, like they put their faces together and it looks just like Joe Flacco. Like they're this, they look like the same person. They really do. Interesting. Not really. Um, yeah. I mean, Kevin you, Stefanski you... may have gotten so frustrated that he decided to become the quarterback and just said he was Joe Flacco. I'm looking at these college bowl lines and how they've moved. The, the South Alabama's up to 17. I said like that. Remember we talked about that in, yep. in our podcast that we thought that would close like 18 or something like that. I do remember. It was like 15 when we did the podcast. So that's going up. You, uh, uh, Air Force is down to two and a half minus 125 I'm seeing on Chris. So that's that was a banger at four for sure. Utah State's up to two and a half. And then even the San Jose State, which is now 10 and a half and looks like it might be trending coastal's got all those opt-outs and whatnot so i'm, I'm gonna give an nfl um, pick though jeff because this has been the nfl episode okay you know you know how well i'm doing on my cornheiser, cornheiser picks recently i'm I, guessing I'm, like, I'm guessing you're doing very well because you're telling us in my last three weeks i think I'm arbitrary endpoints and one it's not arbitrary. It's 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 actually I'm doing it to highlight how good my record's been over three weeks. There's nothing yeah, arbitrary what about, about the that. week before. So that well, means I'll the- tell you how I've done. I'll tell you how I've done for the whole season in a second. But the arbitrary endpoints record is twelve, two and one, and I'm now literally like, I think nine games over five hundred. So I was basically five hundred up until then. So you should. I mean. You should be making a lot of money off of that then. But I'm going to give my pick. My pick is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles laying 12 points against the against Tommy DeVito. Tommy Danny DeVito. Tommy oh, Danny DeVito. Classic, classic overreaction. Who his agent tried to what did, what do double you make the that appearance line? What do you... fee for him to go to some local pizzeria. But apparently he... What do you think the line should be? I think it should be 15. Okay. What's your I'm pick, Jeff? I'm going to... Um, I'm taking the Dolphins minus the one and a half against the Cowboys. Don't hate it. They're a little beat up, but I do think I, I think this Hankins thing is kind of real. Like when he went out of that game, you said Hankins like really, seventeen times this podcast. I know. Really, just clearly someone like, just was doing research. Well, well, sometimes when you have like a theory, and then the theory proves out to be correct, you just real like in, in a small sample size, obviously, but you just kind of like kind of harp on that and it's like exciting yeah that's my pick so sometimes when you have three good weeks on the tony kornheiser show you harp on that too you harp on it 
Okay. So uh, we'll talk to you guys all again next week. And obviously would love for you guys to check out Splash Sports, SlashSports.com, which is our sponsor for the next, I don't know, six, seven more episodes as we, they're, they're doing like really cool pay to play kind of contest. So anyways, we'll talk to you guys all next week. Numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppet tees a butt to end just running off a leaded. None of it's organic. It all sounds synthetic. That's why I fucks with Jeff Ma and his dog Rufus. No locks of the year. They just tell you what their truth is. Maybe make your pockets fatter as the bookies get thinner. Give the information turn and lose the betters into winners. Yeah, Sam Hahn, Rappin' Rockers, Jeff Ma, Rufus Peabody, crunching all the numbers, Massey Peabody rankings, we're, 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 we're looking for the edge, analytically driven, crunching all the numbers.